Hey, have you got bare walls at home or in your office? Do you want to surround yourself with the majesty and inspiration of our mountains? I'm talking truly incredible photography of Western North Carolina landscapes. RedRockPhotoNC.com. Stay tuned for details. It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening. It is Friday, July 24th. Uh, the show is made possible by patrons such as Jolene, Sarah and Frank, Juanita and Gary and Janet and Paul and Bill and Green and Peggy, Teresa, Yuri, Ashley. I appreciate all of the support. Couldn't do it without you. So I noticed this at the governor's, sorry, not the governor's, but the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, Mandy Cohen, uh, at her press conference yesterday, her, her briefing, which, by the way, they have reduced the schedule. Uh, so that's not your imagination. They were doing these press briefings every day, and now they're down to about two a week. And one of them per week, the governor shows up for. Um, I guess he's just so darn busy working for us, right? So he's not been at all of the press conferences, and he wasn't at yesterday's, but Mandy Cohen was, and she was joined by a couple of the consul generals, one from Mexico and one from Guatemala, and uh, they spoke to uh, you know Hispanic and Latinos, or as Mandy Cohen calls them, Latinx communities, um, and, uh, you know, it, stressing the importance of wearing a mask and social distancing and and uh, washing your hands and such, which is kind of funny because like a couple days ago, U.S. Senator Tom Tillis was talking about how there's this outbreak. The numbers are surging among Hispanic residents in North Carolina and uh, Cal Cunningham and the Democrats and the media. But I repeat myself, they attacked him as a racist for pointing out that these numbers are surging. And so there's obviously something going on. <laughs> and so they're all like, you're a racist, you're a racist. And then a couple of days later, here's the Democratic governor's press or uh, health secretary saying, hey, um, all you Latin people, Lat Latino people, Latinx people. It's, so, it's such a stupid word, Latinx. Anyway, uh, and Hispanic uh, folks, uh, hey, I brought some people here to talk to you. Uh, you might want to do the three W's. But, but more importantly, I noticed something at the uh at this press briefing there were by my count and i wasn't i mean i was listening i was watching and taking notes and stuff but uh it, it only sort of dawned on me later there were about two or three reporters questions that were asked that were along the same line uh in the same vein where they were saying aren't you going to crack down on people not wearing masks the ap guy who uh, is like a new guy there, uh, Brian Anderson, I think, who, like, I remember hearing the first time he got in at the press conference, thank you, Governor, for letting me ask this question. I appreciate your, uh, you taking the time to, uh, to take our questions and letting me be a part of this. Like, okay, dude, like, calm down. Like, I know you got through the call screener process because you're not one of the double-plus ungood media outlets that might ask a bad question. You're with the AP. So he gets a question. Anyway, he, he asked, like, are you going to crack down on these businesses? And then at a follow-up, like, I'm thinking specifically of, like, Dan Forrest, the lieutenant governor, who did a 
campaign event where they didn't wear masks, where he didn't wear a mask. And Dan Forrest has said uh, masks don't work, which is true, by the way, in and of itself. Like you wearing a mask doesn't keep you from getting the virus uh, and it has limited uh, effects on you spreading the virus. However, the point is, if everybody wears masks, then the uh, the the uh, the efficiency, the effectiveness of uh, uh, tamping down the spread is multiplied, and you actually can reduce the spread of the virus if everybody wears masks. Okay, so uh, you but you got to have a lot of people wearing the masks. You have to have a lot. Um, now, I don't know what Dan Forrest meant when he said it, but it doesn't matter. The point here is that the media at the press conference, they're starting to uh, give this idea to the governor. Either they're reflecting something that they know he wants to do, or they're trying to push him to do something that they feel like should be done. And I, I kind of default to the latter. I think that newsrooms are staffed with a lot of people that are in constant fear mode selling panic porn all day long, it affects a person, right? Much like if you wa- if you watch porn all day long, it probably affects a person. So if you're uh, engaged in the trafficking of fear porn or panic porn, then I think you probably are going to be affected by it. And I think a lot of folks in newsrooms see the world through this lens all the time, like, oh my gosh, this is going to kill you. Oh my gosh, this is a risky thing. Oh my gosh, isn't this terrible? And so I'm noticing this similar line of questioning. And then, lo and behold, here comes the editorial board from the News and Observer and the Char- the Charlotte Observer, the McClatchy board, although they just got bought, so who knows where they're going to be bought. So who knows what the board will be, but whatever. Uh, here's their editorial headline. North Carolina's governor needs to do more than talk tough about masks. Right? So this is the cue. This is what they're all doing. When you know to look for the signs, it becomes very obvious about what's going on. And this is what's going on. The media is pushing the governor to do something, right? They want the governor to do more, right? They want now remember, they didn't do any of this like on the uh the nursing home side, right? They're not demanding that the governor do more to protect the elderly in the nursing homes. No, no, no. This is governor, you need to start punishing people. That's what they're saying here. You need to start punishing people. Now, by the way, if your mattress is punishing you, I have got a deal. It's the triple zero deal at Mattress Man. Zero down, 0% APR for up to 24 months, so no interest. Zero payments for 90 days. This is a fantastic time to get a, uh, to get a great deal at Mattress Man. You can get it online at mattressmanstores.com. Uh, or you can walk on into any of their four stores in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. Uh, they have local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. They also are running a promo for $399. You can get the Queen Gel Memory Foam Mattress. That is a deal. Hot deals to keep you cool because it's the Queen Gel Memory Foam. That's the deal that keeps you cool. See? That's why they call it that. Okay. They also are giving away a free bedding bundle with purchase of select mattresses. This includes sheets, uh, protector, and pillows. So uh, head on over to the website, peruse the inventory, or walk on into any of the stores. Tell them you heard it here. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. All right. So the media now taking its cue from the governor on Tuesday afternoon when the governor came out and said uh, everybody needs to be wearing masks. Well, here you go. I've got the clip. We'll just play the clip. 
for those who continue to defy basic decency and common sense because they refuse to wear a mask, either wear one or don't go in the store. The refusal to wear a mask is selfish. It infringes on the life and liberty of everyone else in the store. Not only is wearing a mask the decent, neighborly thing to do, it's the best way to boost our economy. All right, so the editorial board at The Observer says in managing the state's response, Cooper wields the power of the bully pulpit. But sermonizing about decency and the evils of selfishness won't get the breadth of compliance needed. That's where the bully and bully pulpit comes in, which is actually not accurate. It's not a proper use of that axiom, but whatever. The governor needs to do more than talk tough, and he needs to do it with more than those who are not wearing masks. If gym owners slyly cite a customer's medical needs as a reason to open, as is happening in North Carolina, make those gyms produce a doctor's note from every customer. And if gyms can't do so, they should be fined and possibly forced to close. It's like, my, how quick the little authoritarians emerge in times of crisis, right? This, this really is remarkable to hear. The, so what, what are they mad about here? What, what, is, what is the editorial board mad about? That gyms are open to people with medical needs? Like, there isn't a doctor that around that will tell you, you know, don't get physical exercise, <laughs> right? It's, so you're going to go after these gyms and the people who are going to those gyms because they need to go to the gyms. Whether, whether you See, here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you agree with them or not. It doesn't matter. See, they're making their own risk assessment. It doesn't matter if you agree with that assessment or not. They're not you, you're not them. Well, but they could spread it to me. Indeed, and if you are that concerned about it, then you need to barricade yourself in your home and not come out until the virus either burns itself out, everybody dies from it, or they have a vaccine. It's pretty simple, right? Otherwise, then you need to minimize your risks and limit what you do. But if there are people that want to go to a gym and there are gyms that feel like they can open and uh, keep their places clean enough, then uh, so be it. Let them do it. This is, uh, but, but no, no, no. We can't have that. So here comes the editorial board. Governor Cooper, you know, you really need to just start locking people up. Just start throwing, uh, throwing the book at these people. Gym owners, if they're not wearing masks. Here you go. Here's another one. Bar owners. If they continue to defy orders to stay closed by claiming their private clubs, send alcohol law enforcement agents into these clubs every night for proof of membership. If it's a sham club, they should face the possibility of a suspended liquor license. They're, like they, they want the, to use the full force of GovCo on everybody, right? Just bring the hammer down on everyone, which is, these are the same people that then decry when uh, the situations when law enforcement have interactions with citizens and things go badly. Like, it is truly amazing how quickly these people are able to just do a complete 180 degree turn and ignore everything that they had been saying the day before, the minute before, and adopt a completely different position. Right. If you like you're you're talking about police abuse and brutality and all this stuff. And now you're saying, let's sick law enforcement on more people. What is wrong with you people? 
They say as Attorney General, Cooper spent 16 years as North Carolina's top cop. Somehow, as governor, he's gotten shy about law enforcement. Yeah, gee, I wonder why. Do you even hear yourselves? Did you even read this sentence after you wrote it? In the context of the Black Lives Matter and the protests that we've been seeing for the last month and a half now. It's absolute insanity, these people. They're like the, the one notable exception when he, when he forced the Speedway to shut down because they flouted his restrictions on business. He should do the same with other defiant businesses. It's unfortunate that Governor Cooper, or any governor for that matter, would have to get tough to get people to do the right thing. But the, uh, the early we're all in this together spirit has shown cracks under the stress of social isolation and financial losses. Financial losses. That's one way to say it. I would say complete bankruptcy. Total economic devastation. People are going to be put into the street. And you're saying, GovCo, go arrest them for trying to make money. Go arrest them for trying to put food on their table. Like, these people should never be trusted with power. The fact that they have a voice that has influence is terrifying. Sincerely terrifying. Um... They say Cooper has done a commendable job managing this pandemic. He has stood firm against the reopened protests, vetoed Republican bills calling for the reopening of bars and gyms, and rejected the president's call to reopen schools as usual. Okay, that, that's not what the president said. They Reopening the schools, there would always be some measure of you know, distancing and mask wearing and that sort of thing. I know, I'm getting in the weeds. But had he not stood his ground, many more North Carolinians would have been sickened or died. That's all that, that that's actually unknown. That is unknown. We do not know whether North Car- more North Carolinians would have been sickened and died. We also don't know for example whether or not our numbers would be much lower had uh the left and the media here not encouraged people to mass protest and gather and demonstrate for weeks and weeks and weeks. We also here's another unknown. How many elderly people would still be alive today had Governor Cooper focused more on the nursing homes at the outset of the uh pandemic? I I mean there's just a lot of unknowns here, right? Now, however, the governor has arrived at a new phase. He's Facing restlessness and obtuseness. He needs to do more than preach that all should cooperate. He needs to punish those who won't. It's amazing. You never have to scratch too deeply below the surface of these leftists to see the tyrants in waiting, right? It doesn't take much. Just a little scratchy scratch, and there it is. There's the tyrant in waiting, ready to emerge. And then they cite, for example, Miami. Miami, here's a great example. Miami, if you uh, don't wear a mask, that's a $50 fine, and it goes up to $500 for repeat offenders. Mm Mm-hmm. And they say, uh, being heavy-handed, though, isn't an easy role for Cooper. By nature, he's a moderate. And, yeah, he's moderate and tolerant. Yeah, he's, yeah. This is, it's unbelievable. The guy's a political animal. The guy is a cynical political animal. And just because he delivers the words in that syrupy drawl where he's having a wrestling match with his dentures doesn't make him a moderate. It doesn't make him tolerant either. These people are activists with bylines. Um, so anyway, so the, yeah, so Miami is the is the uh, 
the example that they cite, $50 fine. So here's an interesting story out of Miami. No one is safe from the new no mask fine. Now, I don't know if they've increased it to $100 because the Miami Herald is saying it's $100. I don't know. But uh, that, according to the Miami Herald, I'm going to go with uh, what they're reporting here. Uh, And they're saying down in Miami, um, one Wawa gas station in Kendall was a particular hot spot for either scofflaws or maybe enthusiastic enforcement, we might say, with eight citations over two days, according to Miami-Dade Police Department records. 162 citations have been issued so far down there. Three of the people that were contacted by the paper said they were given these uh, citations while they were either wearing a mask or holding one when they got fined. I've got a couple of their stories. First, if your story includes a move coming up, uh, then you need to call Rowena Patton. 333-4483. That's her phone number. 333-4483. She's the only real estate agent that I would call if I'm buying or selling a home. You should too. Uh, She and her all-star powerhouse team will get your home sold quickly and for more money. It's what she does. Uh, She outsells 99% of the realtors in North Carolina, and she's the only agent I would call. You should too. Uh, Christy and I are actually, we're now beginning the process of looking for a home. And and so the first place I went, Put into uh, mountainhomehunt.com, typed in my uh, email address, and now I'm getting the uh, the alerts. As soon as a property comes on the market, I'm looking at it, and uh, it's a very helpful service, very helpful. And you can you can narrow filtering down the search results to get exactly what you want. And they know the area. This isn't some nameless, you know, big corporate uh, website that's just cranking out spam mail, right? Uh, these folks know the area. They specialize in what's called the Asheville Diamond, Weaverville to Hendersonville and Waynesville to Black Mountain, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and start packing. So down in Miami, three of the people that got contacted by the Miami Herald uh, who got these citations for not wearing masks, here's one of them, Joanna Gianni. She had just finished shopping at a Publix and was walking back to her car. She takes her face mask off. Uh, that she had been wearing in the store. And she and this is what I do. I go into the store, I shop, and then when I walk out on my way to the car, I take the mask off. That's what she did. And almost immediately, a cop comes up to her, says she's getting a ticket for not wearing the mask. She says, look, I have the mask. She didn't matter. Still got the citation. She says it felt like a setup to catch shoppers after they followed the rules where it really mattered, which was inside the grocery store. The parking lot was almost empty, she said, and nobody was even around her when she took the mask off. Right. But this is what happens when you write the law. You you can't dictate precisely how it's going to be enforced all the time. This is unintended consequences. So, yeah, you're encouraging more interactions between law enforcement and citizens. Now, what happens? Let's just say what happens if Ms. Joanna Gianni and I don't know what race she is, but let's assume she's black. Let's assume she's black and a cop comes up to her and says, you're going to get a citation now for not wearing that mask. And let's just say Ms. Gianni doesn't appreciate that. Maybe she can't afford the hundred dollars. Maybe she's having a bad day. Maybe she thinks all cops are racist. I don't know. But let's just say she objects. And she then says, I'm not taking that ticket. She starts walking away from the cops. She starts making a scene. She starts resisting arrest. And then something bad happens. Right? Is that really that far-fetched? You're creating the very interactions that lead to the thing that you say we need to get rid of. The law is is that mandatory and proper mask wearing in both indoor and outdoor public spaces is required. And if you can't pay the fine, don't worry. You can do community service instead. (laughs) 
<laughs> Isn't that nice? Um, and here's another one. Uh, do, 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 do. Ronald Satuity. Satuity. I think that's how you pronounce it. Anyway, he was in a barbershop, and uh, he's waiting his turn to get a haircut. He says he pulls his face mask down under his chin so he can take a drink of water. And at that moment, a cop walks in and says, you're wearing your mask incorrectly and hits him up with a $100 fine. He tried to explain, look, I understand the laws. Cop didn't care. His friends in the shop, they they found the incident amusing because he's usually the one following social distance guidelines religiously. He says there are too many people on the street walking around without masks. I'm okay with the law, 100%. I'm always the one more worried than everybody else. But... Like, I was just pulling the mask down and take a drink of water. Meanwhile, same day, different barbershop, a guy named Matthias Cassius was cutting a customer's hair. He had his mask pulled down so his nose poked out. Cop comes in, sees it, gives him a ticket for wearing the mask wrong. Okay? This is what's coming, folks. This is what the Charlotte Observer and the Raleigh News and Observer, this is what they're advocating. And they're doing it in the press conferences. They're doing it in their in their uh, editorials. And the reporters are all picking up the cue. They all read the same stuff. They read the, uh, they you know, they hear Cooper's uh, wear a mask. Uh, you know, it's the right thing to do. Uh, uh, you know, fiery sermon from the uh, from the podium. And, uh, and then the News and Observer does their editorial in support of the masks. So you need to drop the hammer on these people. And now you got reporters asking the uh, Health and Human Services Secretary, hey, are you going after anybody else? What is that going to look like? Hey, you really need to go after anybody else? Like three different times they asked her this question yesterday. Yeah, so it's coming. It's coming. Now, do you want a really good way to protect your customers and your employees? Uh, or maybe if you're a real estate agent or a property manager or uh, you operate a venue of some kind. Here you go. If you work in schools, private schools or a child care facility, maybe you have an Airbnb. Uh, even if you just own your own home or you own a hair salon or a place of worship or anywhere, really, um, you can use a Karcher misting system and you can go around like once a week and you sanitize everything. And it's a misting system, so it gets everywhere. OK, and this is from General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. All right, that's where you get this misting machine. And this thing, it's like the size of a shop vac. It's on four wheels. It's cordless. So it goes everywhere. You could just roll it around and just spray everything down. It's fantastic. And the vital oxide disinfectant that is in the Karcher misting system, it's safe for kids and pets. It is safe on food contact surfaces like countertops and stuff. Um, it's all-in-one. The, the vital oxide is an all-in-one hospital-grade EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer. This thing kills like 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses, yes, including the COVID-19. Uh, the, there's no rinse required. There's uh, the, don't, don't worry about like allergies. It's hypoallergenic. It's odorless, colorless, and 100% biodegradable and non-toxic. All right? So you rent it once a week, let's say. Use it after the close of business, and it'll keep the whole area treated for up to 10 days. And then you just need to spot clean areas where, you know, people are walking around touching all the time. You just spot clean those areas, but everything else gets sanitized. The Karcher Mister, it's at General Equipment Rental in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. General Equipment Rental. Family-owned and operated for three generations. Uh, they've been meeting all of your equipment rental needs, from construction and earth moving to lawn and garden, Whatever the project, 
General Equipment Rental has the tool that you need. Also, they do sales. So Husqvarna and Honda, they're your official licensed dealers for those. Um, And every piece of equipment gets uh, cleaned and serviced after every job. So you know that when you take it to your job site or you take it home, uh, you know it's going to work right. Go to generalrents.com forward slash Pete, and you get a coupon for two free cloth face coverings. Retail value, $15. So you get two face coverings, two free face coverings, uh, just by going to generalrents.com forward slash Pete. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com. Think outside your toolbox. All right, now let me give you some good news here because I know we probably all need some good news. Uh, This comes from Michael Walden. He is a Reynolds Distinguished Professor and Extension Economist in the Department of Agriculture and Resource Economics at NC State University. And this is uh, published over at businessnc.com. He says, uh, like, we still see unemployed workers. We still see struggling businesses, a lot of scared people. We'd all like some good news. He says, maybe I can give it to you. Maybe there's some good news that comes from a struggling economy. Maybe there are some good things that result from bad times. One idea is that bad times can actually motivate our survival instincts. A business on the edge of closing will look for ways to revive their sales by offering new products, new services, or experiences. And some businesses will totally remake themselves. Sometimes these changes work. Other times they don't. But the important point is that many businesses will attempt to innovate and adapt to the new circumstances. The same often happens for workers. Workers losing their jobs or having their hours curtailed will often rethink their jobs and skill set and decide to also remake themselves. I heard uh, an interview the other day on Glenn Beck's show. He was talking to the author of a book called Life is in the Transitions, and it really is true, uh, and it was an interesting interview, and I don't remember the author's name, but the, the, the premise is, as the title states, that when you're forced uh, or choose to transition, you uh, that's where life is lived, right? Otherwise, is everything is just kind of like, okay, going along, even keel, nothing really changes. When then things are disrupted, you have to then adapt. And uh, look, I'm a perfect example of it, right? I got laid off in January, and here it is now almost August, and right, I'm launched my own business, doing my own show. I don't work for anybody except, of course, you, the listener, and my clients, uh, but that's it, right? And I have the freedom to do this how I want to do it. Um, and it's intimidating, and it's a high learning curve, and I'm working a lot of hours and all that, but like, it still has forced me to get out of the comfort zone that I was in. So this, is a, this can be a good thing. Economic history actually confirms hard times are periods of great innovation. More than half of today's Fortune 500 companies were founded during a recession or a period of economic decline. Walden writes, the data also confirm economic bad times are periods when more people, both young and old, choose to retrain themselves. Like during the last recession, some community colleges and four-year colleges saw enrollments surge by 20%. So this retooling and retraining typically seen during recessions, they have three long-run benefits for the economy. First, the efforts reduce the number of businesses that are lost. Right. So if you're able to retool and survive, that's helpful for the entire economy. It makes it easier for unemployed workers to find new jobs as well. Second, with economic circumstances now different, the remaking of the firm and the workers help them reshape the economy to what is now possible and desired. 
right? It's a better economic model. You know, there are a lot of businesses that are going under that were already circling the drain before COVID-19, right? They were not healthy businesses. This is why, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Warren Buffett. He said, uh, when the tide, when the tide goes out, you start seeing who all was swimming naked, right? <laughs> and that's the case with businesses too that are over leveraged. Uh, they're too hot. They're, they're carrying too much debt. Their model is just sort of lumbering along, ready to just be put out of its misery. And then here comes COVID-19 and they're done. They're out of business. Um, Third, innovations often make the economy more efficient, meaning more can be produced with less, thereby improving all of our standard of living. For example, restaurants, they're putting more resources into pickup and delivery service, right? Retailers, they're expanding their cyber presence. At the same time, physical outlets are closing. Remote working has surged and... You know, some forecasts that um, a third of the workforce could all be working from home in just a couple of years. These are huge changes that, if realized, would change how and where we live, we work, and shop. Again, I'm a perfect example of it. Christy and I are now looking around. Do we need to stay inside Asheville City Limits? I can do my job for basically anywhere as long as I have an internet connection, right? Collectively, they have the potential to alter our spending and reconfigure our economic world. Everything is going to change after this. This, Things that were sort of being tried out, um, like virtual learning, for example, right? I think there's going to be huge advancements made. Uh, There's going to be, I think, an exodus out of a lot of public schools. Uh, There's going to be new models that that come online because of the way this has uh, forced school districts to try to get with the times and try to get the digital learning up and running. But there are private sector companies that are already doing it. They've created curricula already. They're already out there for years, right? You can find these companies and find their systems and put them to work for you. And you th- I-, I see that being a more viable model for a lot more parents, especially if you're going to be constantly, you know, at the whim of one guy, Governor Cooper, saying whether or not the schools open or close. You know, like uh, what's his face in uh, uh, Gladiator with the thumb up, thumb down. A famous, a famous economist named Joseph Schumpeter uh, prophetically described what we are coping with today. He said, economies move forward using a process that he described as creative destructionism. To create something new often means to destroy what is old, though. And that's difficult if you're part of the sector of the economy or the industry that's being destroyed. No doubt about it. Uh, it is difficult. However... The, the overall economy emerges stronger. So that's some bit of good news here. Okay, just a little bit. Here's another little bit of good news, at least if you're Reverend Barber. Remember Reverend Barber, William Barber, Goldsboro pastor? He set up a nonprofit, 501c3, called Repairers of the Breach. Remember, he left the Moral Monday uh, deal and then set this thing up, the, the People's Campaign, the Poor People's Campaign. Um, so he's uh, he's just gotten a big check. He is among the main recipients of a $150 million grant over five years from George Soros. Yeah, uh, the Open Society Foundation that George Soros uh, runs. Several black-led racial justice groups are also receiving the money, too. Right. I'm actually shocked that it took this long. Yeah, I'm shocked it took this long for Reverend Barber to get any of that sweet, sweet Soros money. Details on how much he's getting, not disclosed, 
but it's likely to dwarf previous fundraising. The nonprofit's most recent tax filing reported that repairers of the breach received a combined $8.9 million in contributions between 2015 and 2018. So um, here's a question. What exactly do these people do? I went to their website, Repairers of the Breach. I first went there. I was like, oh, I wonder like how much money they're, because this is a, what, this over three years, they've raised like $9 million. So what, $3 million a year? I'm wondering, like, what's their overhead expenses? What are they actually funding? You can't find any of those financials on their website. They're not disclosing any of that information. So uh, beware if you're looking to donate to this 501c3. You're not going to know where your money's going, okay? First thing. Second thing, it doesn't say what they do. Right. I mean, I get it. They like they organize and they have some rallies and stuff and some speeches. But it seems like most of their money is going to their staff. And look, that's fine, I guess. You know, whatever. But uh, this is the case for a lot of nonprofits that, uh, you know, they they, they suck up all these donations. They pay themselves uh, a lot of money. And maybe that's what's happening. Maybe it's not. I can't tell. They don't have any financials (laughs) that are on their website for me to look at. Otherwise, uh, I would totally look at it. And I would let you know that they know it's a legit operation. They're using that Soros money for, you know, legit purposes and for good stuff, as all Soros recipients do. Yeah. Well, you know what, though? Maybe they don't want that stuff on their website for some reason. Or maybe they do want it on their website and uh, they don't know how to put it up. Maybe that's it. Maybe they're just not aware. You know, they they need Schaefer Smith, right? They need Schaefer Smith design to help them out. Um, I had Schaefer Smith do my logo because he does it all. He does uh, graphics and photos. He can help you with uh, online store creation, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. He did my logo, as I said. So you probably have realized by now how important the website is to your business, right? Now more than ever. So you want it to show up in search engine results. You want it to look professional and you want people to be able to use it. You want it user-friendly and intuitive and, and also for you. So you can go in there and make changes when you need to so you can adapt. And you know how to run your business, but you probably don't know a lot about website design and maintenance. But Schaefer Smith does. So... Go to his website, SchaeferSmith.com. SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. Have you seen the website called Cardinal and Pine? Have you seen that site? North Carolina news related. Uh, It's not actually a news organization. No, it's a front for uh, left wing activism and democratic progressive organizations. Uh, uh, Don't take my word for it. Take theirs. Right. A dark money political action committee has been revealed to be the funding source for a self-described progressive media company, which has spawned activism sites masquerading as news outlets in at least 14 states, including North Carolina. This is from the North State Journal report. An extensive report from watchdog site OpenSecrets.org shows that this company called Courier Newsroom is funded by acronym. Acronym is a progressive dark money group that has an affiliated progressive political action committee tied to it named Pacronym. <laughs> Good one. The report, published in May, notes that Courier, the Courier newsroom, has faced scrutiny. That's what uh, <clears throat> that's what liberal and progressive and Democrat uh, organizations and people uh, that's what they face when they're doing something that's unethical. They face scrutiny, right? They're not alleged of wrongdoing. It's highly unethical, suspicious, blah, blah, blah. 
No, no, no. It's just they're facing some scrutiny for exploiting the collapse of local journalism to spread hyperlocal partisan propaganda. The report also indicates that the outlets and partners of Courier Newsroom look like freestanding local news outlets, but they're actually a part of a coordinated effort with deep ties to Democratic political operatives. Various digital campaigns... Various digital campaigns for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCCC, as well as uh, Emily's List, right, the pro-abortion people, uh, Every Town for Gun Safety, and that's uh, Michael Bloomberg's, uh, you know, uh, uh, gun safety group, uh, Planned Parenthood, right, needs no further introduction. They've all been run, these digital campaigns for all of these groups have all been run by acronym. Acronym is headed by a woman named Tara McGowan, a former Democratic campaign strategist and former digital director of the Democrats' major super PACs, including Priorities USA. Also involved is David Pluff, the campaign manager for former President Barack Obama, who serves on the board of directors of Acronym. So, Acronym is doing a $75 million online advertising campaign called Four is Enough, and it's targeting four potential swing states in this election. Those four states are Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. The Washington Post had, uh, did a story a couple months ago about Courier Newsroom, calling it a clandestine political operation, publishing, among other things, positive stories about moderate Democrats who face difficult re-elections in November. So basically no different than any other mainstream media outlet. Courier Newsroom's affiliate in North Carolina is called Cardinal and Pine. The site is run by Billy Ball, a former reporter, quote-unquote, for the left-leaning blog, I would call it the leftist blog, NC Policy Watch, which is a project of the NC Justice Center, which is all part of the Blueprint NC crowd. So it's funny, Billy Ball leaves uh, the NC Policy Watch folks and goes to work for Cardinal and Pine, which is basically, like, these are all the same donor lists they're working off of, right? They're all the same crowd. Just the, the Cardinal and Pine is meant to deceive people into thinking that it's a legitimate news organization when, in fact, it is not, okay? Um, Oh, and also, all of their stories quote heavily uh, from, uh, you know, lefties, uh, and then they never identify them as such. The North State Journal article, uh, there was one example here. Who was it? The uh, NCAE, yeah, Kim Mackey is quoted... um, uh, for and she's attacking the state legislature, but she never mentions the governor. Um, and then the site never says that Mackey is a member of the NCAE, right? The teachers union. Because why would that be important? Just because the NCAE uh, is working against Republicans and propping up Roy Cooper and Democrats, like why would that be of interest? <laughs> right? Okay. Um, what else? Uh, oh, the Sierra Club. They're falling now, folks. They really are. Sierra Club, uh, Planned Parenthood, um, and, uh, oh, the Autobahn, the local Autobahn Society Club. Uh, Name changes for everybody. Why? First up, the Sierra Club, the pedestal of another mighty voice of the conservation movement, John Muir. Moore. Muir. I think it's Muir. Um, 
the pedestal of Muir has crumbled, exposing his pro-racist writings and actions. In a historic move, July 22nd, the nation's oldest, largest, and possibly most revered conservation group. I love that. Possibly most revered. (laughs) This is from the Citizen Times. Possibly most revered. Not sure. Could be. Maybe. Just going to throw it out there. The Sierra Club denounced its founder as a racist and committed the organization to contributing $5 million to make long overdue investments in its staff of color and its environmental and racial justice work. It's long past time for the Sierra Club to own up to the racism in our history. The struggles to protect people and our environment cannot be separated, and it is our responsibility to use our power to help abolish racism, which is destroying lives and the planet, said the club's director, Michael Brune, who is white. Um, This is interesting. Racism is destroying the planet? I was not aware of this. Is Really, is there anything racism can't do? Seems like it's to blame for, like, a lot of stuff. The Sierra Club was founded in part by Muir, perhaps one of the world's best-known conservationists for his explorations, his books, and other writings on the wonders of nature and in defense of environmental protection. He has been called the father of our national parks and the wilderness prophet. His musings are quoted ubiquitously. Muir lived from 1838 through 1914, so right during the Civil War. He was also known for his derogatory remarks about blacks and indigenous people. Oh my goodness, she did not capitalize indigenous people. And it maintained friendships with people like, he maintained friendships with people like Henry Fairfield Osborne, who worked for the conservation of nature, but also for the conservation of the white race head of the New York Zoological Society and the Board of Trustees of the American Museum of Natural History, Osborne also founded the American Eugenics Society in the years after Moir's death. So, that's kind of awkward. Speaking of eugenics, they took Margaret Sanger's name off of the Planned Parenthood uh, Clinic in the uh, Greater, the greater New York Planned Parenthood. Uh, this is uh, in the Manhattan Clinic. Yeah, uh, the chief equity and engagement officer for that clinic told the New York Times, quote, the biggest concern with Margaret Sanger is her public support for the eugenics medical philosophy, which was rooted in racism, ableism and classism. Now, this is really interesting because the Washington Free Beacon noted that PolitiFact had done a fact check about the claim that Planned Parenthood founder Margaret Sanger was a racist and they said it was mostly false. They claimed that this uh, they said this claim was false. They fact checked in 2015 Ben Carson and Ben Carson had said Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist. She uh, believed that people like me, he said black Americans, should be eliminated or kept under control. And PolitiFact called that claim false. <laughs> and so now that the Planned Parenthood of the greater New York area in Manhattan took her name off of the building and said because she was a racist and eugenicist, will PolitiFact go back and fact check their own fact check? Not sure if that's in the cards <laughs> or not. Um, also, I think we're going to have to rename the tallest mountain on the East Coast. Mount Mitchell. think it's going to have to get a new name. Yep. Elijah Mitchell, Audubon Society, has now changed its name. Here in Asheville, the growing movement to lift black voices and address past and present wrongs. The former Elijah Mitchell Audubon Society exists no more. But the 1,100-member birding group is still going strong with a new name, the Blue Ridge Autobahn, and a new outlook. The Asheville-based chapter of the National Autobahn Society, 
formerly known as the EMAS, the Elijah Mitchell Audubon Society, officially changed its name this week. The process began in early June after members discovered that the group's namesake, a 19th century geologist, UNC professor, and Presbyterian minister, was also a slave owner and an avowed racist. The Blue Ridge Autobahn president, Nancy Casey, says the original name was adopted because of the chapter's early volunteer work at Mount Mitchell. Mitchell helped verify that Mount Mitchell was the highest mountain in the eastern United States. His measurements were just a few feet off its official elevation of 6,684 feet. The mountain surrounding um, uh, the mountain and the surrounding state park are all named for Mitchell. So I guess we're going to have to rename all of that. Um, the local chapter, by the way, whatever name it is, you know, you're, you can get great pictures of all of it from Red Rock Photography, redrockphotonc.com, for real. Stacy Redman's work, it's amazing. It's stunning work. He's from Western North Carolina. He's been shooting landscapes of the Blue Ridge for two decades, uh, and it's uh, he's got a pretty amazing story that he was working like 60, 70 hours a week, and uh, his daughter was like, you know, oh gosh, you know, when you're working all the time or whatever, and it kind of broke his heart, and he was like, you know what, life's too short for this, I'm not going to get this time back, so I'm going to do what I love, and I'm going to spend more time with my family, and he chased his dream, and uh, he now is the you know proud proprietor of Red Rock Photography, redrockphotonc.com. His work, brilliant, striking. It's easily affordable for any space. Go see for yourself. Go to his website, redrockphotonc.com, and use the promo code PETE for 20% off. Redrockphotonc.com. Uh, so the Citizen Times article, again, by this is also by Karen Chavez, uh, she says the local chapter, which was founded in 1986, owns Beaver Lake Bird Sanctuary in North Asheville. And so this is going to be a problem because in order to now change all of the names on everything, this is going to it's going to take a month to change the name on everything. But it's also going to cost them thousands of dollars. you got to update the website, Facebook page, all the signage at Beaver Lake, your brochures, and they're going to have to hire a company to create a new logo, which I recommended Schaefer Smith. He'll do all of that for them. Um, but because Elijah Mitchell um, was apparently a racist, and this is pretty clear now, it's not like, oh, he might have been a racist because he said some racisty stuff back in a time when like everybody was racist. No, no, it's a little bit more than that. The chapter learned of Mitchell's racist leanings after they got an email from a distant relative of Elijah Mitchell named Whitney Mitchell. And Whitney Mitchell said that she was looking through uh, his readings and stuff, and uh, she sent them this email, or his writings rather, and uh, sent him this email, and yeah, he was an avowed racist. He wrote, a, uh, in 1948, he wrote a book called The Other Leaf of the Book of Nature and the World of God. That's the name of the book. They had different titles back then. Like nowadays, the title is all like, you know, one big word and then like a a, a subtitle uh, like or a secondary title that's got like, you know, 8,000 words in it. So it comes up in all the search results. Anyway, uh, back then they just put it all into the one big title. The Other Leaf of the Book of Nature and the World of God. This book was a defense of slavery, which Whitney Mitchell said uh, she had been reading and found to be, quote, horrifying. So not sure when they're going to come from Mount Mitchell and uh, change the name of that. Not sure what it would become. Well, that's going to be a fun process. Renaming Mount Mitchell. 
maybe we could find somebody else named Mitchell and name name it after that person, right? Somebody who did something named Mitchell, and this way we don't have to change any of the um, <laughs> any of the brochures or or, or uh, the signs and everything. Now they are going to have to take down that. Uh, was it uh, was it the guy that, Tom? Is that his name? The guy in the museum. If you've never been to Mount Mitchell, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But when you go to Mount Mitchell, they've got a little museum interactive thing, and they've got this like life size statue guy, and it's there's a recording that plays, and he's talking about how they went and found uh, Mitchell's body because he died on the mountain. He was going to measure, I think it was uh, black mountain actually. And he was going up to take some more measurements or whatever. And, uh, he slipped and fell and died. And they sent out search parties, by the way, you know, one of the members of that search party, governor Vance, Zebulon Vance. Yeah. He was one of the members of the search party. Also a racist. They're taking his monument down too in Asheville. But uh, be that as it may, he was part of the uh, uh, part of the squad that went looking for Mitchell, and they found him. He was dead, uh, and then they buried his body up at the top. And so they've got this like statue of a guy, and he tells this whole story about how I went down looking for. You know, yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty hokey, but uh, they're gonna have to take that down pretty soon too, I guess. I assume. I mean, I just assume. Uh, let me see. I've got some good news. Another piece of good news. There's an experimental blood test that detects cancer up to four years before symptoms appear. Oh, but before I get to that, some other good news. Old Grouch's military surplus there. The shop is open again from Monday through Saturday. Shop is open. Okay. Old Grouch's military surplus. Now more than ever, you need some old grouch in your life. Old Grouch's military surplus, downtown Clyde. He's got an expanded line of first aid kits and medical supplies for all kinds of emergencies, scrapes to gunshot wounds. And they have step-by-step instructions so anybody can follow them. And you might avoid a trip to a hospital, which a lot of people are trying to do these days. He's also got body armor, all kinds made to NATO specs. These are uh, for in-store or phone purchases only. Uh, So not on his website, oldgrouch.com. He has face masks made by a uh, local family, disabled veteran. They make these out of military parachutes, so they're lightweight and they're soft. He also has the pre-ban steel gas cans. These are the old school ones, the good ones, before the government came and messed them all up. Uh, He has tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun, and at oldgrouch.com. So, for years, scientists have sought to create the ultimate cancer screening test, one that can reliably detect uh, a malignancy early, before tumor cells spread, and when treatments are more effective, right? Early detection is key. According to this article, it's at uh, scientificamerican.com, a new method reported in the uh, Nature Communications Journal brings researchers a step closer to the goal. By using a blood test, the international team was able to diagnose cancer long before symptoms appeared in nearly all the people it tested who went on then to develop cancer. Uh, so, and I'm going to get into some of these details here. So, quote, what what we showed is, and this is uh, the bioengineer uh, at University of California, San Diego, co-author of the study named Kun Zhang, said, quote, what we showed is up to four years before these people walk into the hospital, there are already signatures in their blood that show they have cancer. That's never been done before. 
Past efforts to develop blood tests for cancer typically involved researchers collecting blood samples from people that were already diagnosed with the disease, right? And so once you once you know that they already have cancer, they've already been diagnosed, then it's like, okay, well, what, what did the blood look like before? We don't know. What these guys did, they focused on developing a test for five of the most common types of cancer, stomach, esophageal, colorectal, lung, and liver, right? They, the test they developed is called the PAN-SEER, which uh, is also how I like my steak. It's called the PAN-SEER, and it detects methylation patterns in which a chemical group is added to DNA to alter genetic activity. Past studies have shown that abnormal methylation can signal various types of cancer, including pancreatic and colon cancer. So what they did was they tested blood samples from a whole bunch of people, and they were able to detect cancer up to four years before symptoms appeared with roughly 90% accuracy and a 5% false positive, right? So they just... They grabbed a whole bunch of people, got all of their blood samples, and they just kind of monitor. They would just get more blood samples and you know over the years. And then when people got cancer, they then said, okay, let's look at all of their blood. And they would do that. And you do that enough times and you detect the patterns. And now they're able, now it has to be replicated. They got to do another study to make sure this isn't just a one-off fluke result. But it's important that they get independently validated uh, on their findings. Different group of people, uh, different test, but, you know, run, well, not different test, but run the same test another time on different people to make sure that um, that this test can then be used for clinical use in patients. But that's really exciting. If you can figure out four years in advance that you need to go in for treatments, um, that could save a lot of lives. Uh, that's a wrap for this episode. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast. That's the best way you can help me. I appreciate it. Give it a positive review. That's also very helpful. You can consider becoming a patron of the program where you get cool stuff, exclusive content. Links are all at com and in the description of the podcast. Thanks so much for your support. I'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 